Welcome to Behavior Babes Podcast, presented by me, Dr. Amanda Kelly. Aloha, joining us today, we have Dr. Judah X. Judah, are you there? I'm here. Right on. Would you mind uh, starting by giving an introduction for our listeners? Sure thing. Um, I am a professor at Simmons University in Boston, and I direct our special education master's program and teach in our master's and PhD programs in behavior analysis, as well as our online master's program in behavior analysis. Um, I always like telling my little story of how I got interested in the field, which was I got a chance job my summer before my last year of college working with a 13-year-old boy with autism at a summer camp and was fascinated by him. He had some savant skills like playing the piano without people teaching him and making balloon animals. And I was fascinated and got back to college at the University of Wisconsin for my last year and uh, looked up autism in the phone book and worked with a boy in his home doing discrete trial teaching and took a full-time job at an autism program in Connecticut afterwards. And I knew very little. I studied biology as was my major, but uh, the place I, where I worked had a lot of funding and sent me to a lot of workshops and conferences. And I saw Vince Carbone's two-day workshop on using applied behavior analysis and the analysis of verbal behavior and was just blown away. The, uh, the we talked in another podcast there's a story about magic and i saw the magic of aba where he was working with a little four-year-old girl and she was tantruming when you gave any demands and he asked the mom what's her favorite thing in the world and she said barney videos and brought the barney video in and he had the remote control and uh would have her watch it and he would pause it and she would look at him he'd turn it back on again he would pause it She would look at him. He would present one little demand. She would do it, turn it back on, uh, pause it again, two demands, turn it back on. And using that remote control as what looked like a magic wand, he was able to increase the amount of skills that the girl learned. And she was doing receptive skills and then going on to managing and tacting and talking in general. And so I was learning the behavioral principles in that workshop, but was completely hooked by the demonstrations that he showed, um, that one in particular, and then just went on to learn as much as I could about behavior analysis and try to reach out and work with different people to learn as much as I could. And uh, that's what I've been doing. So that was part of how I got interested in the field. It's interesting if I've known you for a decade or more, and I didn't, I don't know if I've ever asked you that story. So it's interesting and always uh, learning something new. And I really connect also with what you're saying about seeing. Seeing is believing. And I kind of chuckle too because who uses um, like VCRs maybe anymore or went to a DVD player or, you know, remote controls, we can control it from our phone. But yeah, that vision, that visual of it looking like a magic wand, um, I think really resonates probably with a lot who have worked with or seen that development um, and that kind of effective behavioral skills implementation. Uh, You told me, though, that you've really been focusing your research recently on the area of problem solving. And I mean, there's a lot of problems. So tell us more about that. 
Sure, yeah, that's um, probably the, one of the main topics I'm working on right now, though I am working on other topics, but one that I'm, is newer and I'm excited about. And um, I, I still am not exactly sure the moment I got interested in this, but it probably had to do with David Palmer, who has written on problem solving, presented about it, and maybe seeing one or two applied studies. But I started teaching a class session in a doctoral course uh, reviewing the applied studies on problem solving, and that turned into working on a review paper that's um, coming out in the upcoming edition of the Analysis of Verbal Behavior that I co-authored with two doctoral students, um, Stephanie Phelan and Caitlin Irwin, and uh, and then working on studies. And, and I think what I like a lot about it is that we can teach some behaviors that lead to the learning of other behaviors. And that that idea comes up in a lot of areas of behavior analysis with generative approaches to teaching, teach some skills and other skills emerge. But I think what I like about problem solving is it's really direct the mechanism for how uh, those individual behaviors that we teach or the precurrent behaviors as they're called lead to the current behaviors. And they're, they, it's, it's that we often synthesize them or we put them together um, in new ways and uh, to, to lead to the ultimate behavior. And so one, the, the first topic that I worked on in this area was teaching children with autism to recall past events. Uh, parents and therapists, behavior analysts, teachers often want to increase the skill with kids of tell me about your day or tell me about your weekend, tell me about your trip to the zoo, and we often don't get much response or we might get you know, played one, one answer or something like that. And so this was a project I worked with Stephanie Phelan on, who's like you, a Hawaii uh, native now, or not native, but a Hawaii resident. And... Um, and uh, and so we we looked at two studies that informed our study. One was uh, using self-questioning. So um, to come up with more answers about what you did is to ask yourself a series of questions, like who was there, what was there, what was something that happened, what's another thing that happened. And so we taught the kids to ask and answer a few questions like that to try to generate many responses to the person who asked, tell me about your day at school or tell me about something that happened. And the other problem-solving strategy we taught was visual imagining. And this was based on a 2011 study by Kaiser Morcar and LeBlanc and uh, who, who increased skills with um, typically developing preschoolers where they taught things like, tell me some animals. And they wanted the kids to tell many animals. And they showed uh, pictures of farm and zoo and ocean and other categories and then had them close their eyes and try to see those places and then say what they saw and they were able to increase the amount of animals and kitchen items on the categories that the kids would say. So we combined those and so we would do an activity, a different one each day with uh, the six, or six to 13 year old uh, children with autism and these were pretty high-functioning kids. This is a um, type of skill where you need to have a pretty developed verbal repertoire to be able to do these things. And uh, we did an activity. We asked them two hours later, tell me about what you did. And we had taken a picture during the activity, so we showed them the picture and had them close their eyes and try to see the place and then ask and answer those questions. 
and we were able to increase the amount of statements that they said about the activity compared to a baseline. So um, we were excited about those results and, and think that this technology could help a lot of students with recalling past events. Um, the, so a couple other applications of this currently that I've just started working on is um, having, and, and this is really with adolescents with autism, to solve problems the way that most of us probably solve problems. So when, when I have a problem, like I don't know how to get somewhere or I don't know uh, how many quarts are in a gallon or something like that, I Google it, right? I think we all do that all the time. And so we wanted to see, could we basically teach adolescents with autism to Google things as a way to problem solve? Because that's, again, the way most of us problem solve. But we actually didn't use Google. We were using apps. And so we are giving them problems that you might get in a geography class or if you were planning a trip or something like that of, um, you know, what's the distance from here to Honolulu? Or um, what time is it in Honolulu right now? Or um, what's the weather in Honolulu? And having them go to a Google Maps app or a uh, time, uh, time Zones app and a weather app to uh, look up the answers to those questions and write them down. And so what's fundamental about all of the problem-solving work is that we never prompt the ultimate answer like um, uh, what time is it in Honolulu right now? Well, let's see, for me right now it's five o'clock, so I think it's something like noon or 11 in Honolulu. And so I would never prompt them to write, you know, write 11 or model writing 11 or something like that, but I would teach them that skill of going to the time app, writing in Honolulu, and then looking at the answer and writing that on the paper. So I teach them those precurrent or problem-solving behaviors, and that generates that ultimate behavior that gets reinforced. So, yeah, we're pretty excited about that study also. Well, it seems like you've got your hands full. You've got a lot of work going on there. But what I found really interesting was maybe that last part that you um, pointed out, which is that you're not prompting the, the terminal answer it's that process along the way. And I think that's really a clean way that you described it that helps people understand, um, thank you, the work that, that, some of the work that you're doing. I'm sure it's much more complex um, <laughs> having worked with you in the past myself. <laughs> I know it's much more in depth, but that was really clear explanation. Um, yeah. So you've been now in Boston for a bit. Um, what kinds of areas of research or application or things are you seeing in that area or is there anything going on in New England that you think others would love to know about? That's a great question. Um, you know, one topic that I thought of at first uh, that I think is exciting and, um, you know, controversial at times is the uh, approach that we have now to functional analysis of problem behavior. So, um there is the uh, Brian Awada, uh, obviously, gave us a lot of research and procedures for conducting a functional analysis of problem behavior. And a few years ago, coming on probably 10 years ago, Greg Hanley uh, has taken a different approach to conducting functional analyses. And 
there have been some comparisons of the two approaches, um, what might be called the traditional functional analysis and what Greg Hanley calls the interview-informed synthesized contingency analysis, or ISCA. And I've seen some of those comparisons published and presented at ABBA conference. And um, I saw in the upcoming ABBA conference next week, there are some, there's at least one symposium looking at uh, comparisons between the two. And I've seen at least um, two doctoral students in, in the Boston area uh, proposing or conducting studies comparing those two. So I think that that's an uh, yeah, exciting area. Um, I happen to like the ISCA and the, the logic behind it. And um, it'll, be, it'll be neat to see how people continue comparing those two approaches to see which one shakes out as being more effective for behavior analysts. Thanks. And for those um, people who don't know, Dr. Greg Hanley is in, in teaching in New England, right? At West, is it still Western New England University? Yeah. Yeah. So um, a lot of, uh, I'm sure, research studies that would could be done by his students and things, so it might be why that's a hub of information coming out of New England there about that. Um, what about conferences? I know you go to quite a lot, and I know you've been to many. Do you have any uh, coming up, talks that you give, uh, presentations that you're looking forward to? You mentioned ABAI in Chicago. How, mm -hmm. do you, how, do you, how do you limit? How do you decide? What are you looking forward <laughs> yeah. to? That's a great question. Um, uh, I, love, I do love conferences. And um, so a few exciting things I'll mention is, the uh, biggest local one in the Boston area, New England, is BABBIT, or the Berkshire Association for Behavior Analysis and Therapy. And after 40 or 39 years, the conference being housed at the University of Massachusetts in Amherst, uh, this coming October, it's moving, and it'll be in a much bigger space at the DCU Center in Worcester, Massachusetts. And so... Uh, I was on the board of Babbitt for about 10 years, and, um, and I just stepped off uh, a couple months ago, and so I've been heavily involved in the conference, and so it'll be, I, I'm excited to see, I'll miss the really picturesque and rustic, and uh, it's always in the fall with beautiful leaves in Amherst, but I'm excited for a little bit more technology and space and um uh, with the conference this coming October, a lot of people have gotten shut out because we just ran out of space for the, uh, you know, um, exponentially and really quickly growing number of behavior analysts in Massachusetts, New England, and all over the place, but especially with a lot of graduate programs in Massachusetts. So I'm excited about that. I've been going um, to the Massachusetts Association for Behavior Analysis or MassAba conference, and I presented there um, a couple months ago. Uh, and uh, that's always a nice conference also. Um, Simmons University, where I teach, just held a conference um, a few weeks ago, um, about six weeks ago, and um, we had some great speakers like Cynthia Anderson from the May Institute and Rocio Rosales from UMass Lowell, uh, as well as Gail McGee. And uh, and the sad part, though, was I wasn't able to attend because I was um, speaking at a conference that was absolutely one of the, my favorite conferences I've ever been to, which was the Verbal Behavior Conference in Austin, Texas. Uh, it was the second annual conference there. I was thrilled to be invited to speak, and I gave 
two presentations, one on problem solving, one on introverbals, and, uh, and there was a panel discussion also. And the last conference I'll mention um, that I just found out about a few days ago is Boston Public Schools is holding its first conference on applied behavior analysis. And I really don't know how this happens, but I'm just thrilled and just can't believe that they've uh, invited me to be their keynote speaker. I've done some work on uh, consulting in public schools. I have consulted in Boston Public Schools a little bit, and I've done some uh, writing and teaching on staff training and consultation. That's the topic they've asked me to talk about. And so I'm really looking forward to that, which is just coming up in June. So um, those are a few. I guess your question about how do I choose, I, now I go to as many as I can. But um, those, are, those are a few of my annual or almost annual uh, conferences. Oh, it kind of brings me back, makes me miss New England. Um, having, having moved from there to here, um, I think a lot about uh, Babbitt and Mass Abba and just the community there. It's really nice to hear, and congratulations on the keynote opportunity with the schools. Um, I think there's a lot of really good, good models and good things happening and really good intentions in Massachusetts that um, we're hoping to replicate in other places while you continue to help them uh, build their skill sets there. <laughs> um, yeah. That's really exciting. And, you know, they're doing a great job marketing that because I have already seen that on Instagram. Oh, wow. So I was going to ask you about it if you didn't bring it up. <laughs> oh, about the Boston Public Schools Conference? Yeah, I think. Is it the oh. one that's on June June 8th or something? Yeah, yeah, up? exactly. Yeah. Yep. yeah so, oh, that's good. I, I haven't seen it on social media yet, but I'll have to take a closer look. Yeah. Love it. You have to get on social media to see the things there. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> so you're also going to ABAI. Are you? Um, I imagine that you're presenting this year. Are you presenting or? Um, I you, am. Yeah. Okay. I was going to say, or anything that you're involved with that you want to share? Sure. Um, I'm involved in four symposia, which I'm excited about, and. Um, Two of them are students of mine who are presenting. Um, Caleb Davis is presenting a study we did on the high probability request sequence, and I'm excited about that. Nice little symposium with um, one other high P um, paper and a discussant. And then uh, there's a really exciting verbal behavior symposium where my student Olga Maleshkovich is presenting our study on teaching multiply controlled intraverbals uh, with Mark Sundberg as the discussant, and um, looking forward to that. And then I did a study on um, in, in our online program in behavior analysis on evaluating oral quizzes. And so I had heard about a colleague of mine who uh, uses oral quizzes in his classes, and it seemed like a nice idea, and I started trying it out. And, um, and, and pretty much come into class in the first 15 minutes, I would randomly call on students and ask them questions from last week's content. And uh, it, was, it was attached to the grade a little bit. And um, it seemed to, uh, students would say that they were nervous about it and anxious about it, but they felt like it really helped them. And so they were appreciative of it also. And so, um, the company that Simmons uh, partners with to put on its online program is called 2U, and they had a grant um, opportunity, which I applied to, and I 
submitted to evaluate oral quizzes in the online course. We have live sessions in the online course. And so that was funded. And so um, I found that the, the basic uh, data showed that 15 out of the 20 participants we had did better on content for which there was oral quizzes. And so I'm presenting those data in a symposium on higher education approaches with behavior analysis. And then um, I'm a discussant on a talk by some fun colleagues, Mike Nicholas and Amir Stapuglia from Patton in Pennsylvania, who nicely asked me to be a discussant on a symposium they're doing about statewide applications of behavior analysis. So it'll be busy, but um, it'll be fun. Busy but fun. Um, well, great. I think for me, I remember my first ABAI, and I went to a bunch of different talks based off of the titles. And uh, professors soon instructed me and helped me say, look, look at universities, look at some of the the work that you're interested in or the areas, not just the catchy titles, you know. Um, so I've evolved <laughs> in my decision making and have probably, I think, uh, made better use of my time at the conventions. So. <laughs> yeah. That was yeah. some of my advice there for the for the first timers, perhaps. Sure. Um, yeah, I always like finding the names. I, I now I've seen probably everybody present that I know about. Actually, not not everybody, but that's uh, I always like to see someone I've heard of if I haven't seen them present before. I like to go see them present and see what they're all about. So that's an approach I take sometimes. It can be really neat when we, I mean, that's one of the things that I've found so interesting with, like, Behavior Babe. People will say, I know I know Dr. Mark Sundberg and his work, and they can quote it, and they can cite it, and they can talk to you about Dr. Carbo. You know, they can do all of that, and then they'll walk right by them at the conference. And they'll, I didn't know that that's him, right? So sometimes when you see, it's like hearing your papers be read to you <laughs> by the yeah. authors themselves. Um, right. Yeah, I didn't. I still probably don't fully understand stimulus no, uh, equivalence. But when Mary Sidman came in and spoke to our class when I was out at Simmons before mm. the university, I was like, "That's what you were saying in that book, in that paper." Mm -hmm. It really yeah. gave life to it. Yeah, yeah. it, it is moments. usually usually the key author can uh, explain it the best. Maybe not always, but uh, <laughs> oftentimes, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'd hope so. I mean, some people are just, you know, print is not always my thing. <laughs> so you have right. a lot of um, opportunities, it sounds like, to go to conventions and conferences. You mentioned that you were just in Texas. Um, I think one of the things behavior analysts kind of do best is we try to tack on fun to conventions um, or sightsee or get out. Did you do anything fun in Texas? Um, <laughs> what are some of the cool places that you're – you know, conferences have taken you to any favorites that you try to get back to? That's um, yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, the the my usual um, form or my usual experience is that I don't leave the conference walls too much. And somewhat unfortunately, somewhat fortunately, I was um, raised in a way to just really suck the most out of the conference that you can. And so go to every meeting, go to every presentation, and that's still often the approach that I take. When Now, I had never been to Austin, Texas, and I've been hearing about it since probably my college days at least, and what a fun and music-driven and exciting town it was. I went to the College of Madison, Wisconsin, a lot of people 
related. If you like Madison, you'll love Austin. And so I said I had to get out and explore the town. And so I had about two hours when I first got in, and I just left my hotel room and started walking around. I'd heard about 6th Street, and I walked down that, and it was super colorful and fun. And uh, I was expecting to see a lot of live music, and sure enough, I walked past at least three live bands playing just in windows and bars. And I had also heard about um, this bridge that has bats underneath it, and if you go there at dusk, you can see all these bats uh, come out from under the bridge and fly around and it's supposed to be spectacular and something to see and so I figured out where I was going and I walked down that way Congress Avenue Congress Avenue Bridge I think it's called and um, I found the bridge and I'm walking along and right when I got to the middle of the bridge it started pouring on me and so um, I just quickly ran across and ducked into a hotel and went in the bathroom and dried off and uh, so I didn't get to see the bats. But, and then I, I went out to dinner, fun restaurant. So I saw the Capitol. I wanted to walk around the University of Texas at Austin, another place that I've heard about and have some colleagues who were there, but I didn't get a chance to do that, leaving that for next time. But, um, yeah, that was, um, that was great to see Austin, Texas, and uh, want to go back and, and do more. It's um, Yeah, it's Austin. I have two young kids who – um actually i'm at home and they may be home in a couple minutes and might barge in on me maybe not but we'll see and um so when i go to conferences these days especially long ones like abba i try to minimize the extra time that i'm away so that takes away from doing fun touristy type things in the town but um the river walk in san antonio i've been to at least twice and that's really fun and um yeah, when we go to fun places like San Diego, I don't get to go to SeaWorld or the zoo or things like that. I haven't done. But um, I was on the program committee of ABBA for four years. And when I did that, I was extra busy. And maybe now that I'm past that stage, I'll venture out and do uh, some more fun things. But I like to go to at least one or two restaurants each time. And um, yeah. Thank you for that, Judah. I guess the lesson here is everybody, it's important to go to the conference. When you're at the conference, you're there to learn. But maybe also take that time to go and take a walk outside of the conference or convention center and to go have dinner maybe down on the Riverwalk if you're in Texas and San Antonio or go see the Bean in Millennium Park if you're going to be in Chicago next week. Judah, before we get off um, the conversation today or in the call, I just want to give you an opportunity to do any shout-outs or plugs, anything that you'd like to share with us today. Double plug, I guess, is I, I just got this nice invitation also for the Verbal Behavior Special Interest Group that I was chair of for four years and, and a part of for many more years than that. Um, just nicely invited me to do a write-up of my lab at Simmons. And um and um, I want to plug the Verbal Behavior Special Interest Group of ABBA, the VBSIG. If you're interested in verbal behavior, check out their website and get involved with them. And um, check out my article in the, the upcoming newsletter. And part of doing that, too, was getting to reflect on the amazing doctoral students that I get to work with at Simmons, which really is my favorite part of my job, is working with the doctoral students and learning from them, being inspired by them, collaborating with them, and being able to do really exciting research 
with them and getting pre to present it at these fun conferences and support them in presenting it at these conferences and writing some of it for publication. And so um, including you, Amanda, who was a former student. And so um, I'm just appreciative of the, the students that I get to work with at Simmons. And so I want to plug them and, uh, you know, encourage you to follow their work and their careers. Um, yeah, but thanks so much for having me on this podcast. I'm a lover of podcasts these days, um, behavior analytic ones and music ones and news ones. And, um, and so it's exciting to be on a podcast and I really thank you. Absolutely. Thank you, Judah. And for anyone who's interested in learning more about applied behavior analysis, including where you can go to school and where uh, what some of the amazing work the students are up to, you can get that information at www.behaviorbabe.com. Mm -hmm.